You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. It can be challenging to experience inner peace in the midst of a chaotic world. In this episode, Dr. Nader explains how to access a deep inner silence that's available to all of us. It's a great joy to be with everyone. Thank you for all those who are present here and also on the live stream. It's a joy to think of how to develop ourselves to the maximum potential, to develop our abilities, our mind, to develop our hearts, to develop our physical capacity, and also now these days to make sure our society is behaving as a group in the most positive way for the well-being of the individuals, the general well-being of the nation and also our concerns for the whole world. Today is different than thousand years ago in that we are all in a world which is a big, huge family. We have seen many transformations throughout history. Still, we look at the individual, individual requirements, individual needs, individual hopes and dreams and we can ask ourselves, why are we here? What is the purpose of it all? And how can we do the best that we are able to do for ourselves and people we love and our societies in general? There are different goals in one's life. We want to be successful. We want to have a profession. We want to be healthy. We want to be wealthy. We want to be strong. We want to have knowledge. We want to be enlightened. We want our society to be peaceful. And these are the questions we ask ourselves. We might have specific desires, specific needs on a very specific subject or area of life. We might have issues of health. We might have a problem, a disease. We might have issues on a mental level. We feel anxiety sometimes, insomnia some other times. We have some depression or we feel our life is not going completely the way it should be. And even when we feel it's going well, our nature is to want more and to want to achieve the maximum that this chance we have in this short lifetime to do something great for ourselves and society. How do we do that? Let us think of what are the things available to us. What's available to us to achieve greater aspects of fulfillment for ourselves and society? In the most simplistic way, of course, we have things that are on the outside. We have circumstances we are born into, families, specific place, specific schools we go to. But we realize that it depends also on us, on us as an individual. And what do we have as assets as an individual? We have a physical body 
and we want to maintain this body in good health, so therefore we exercise, we eat properly, we have good routines of life, and try to follow the best possible diet and uh, programs for stretching, for making sure the body is functioning properly. Particularly that we realize that the body is actually the machine that does everything. If we want to do something, we have to walk, we have to talk, we have to move our hands, we have to write and all of that. And this is the physical machinery that actually helps us to achieve things in life. However, when we look deeply, we find that this machine is more like the hardware of a computer. And that the real essence of what this hardware can do, although we want a very healthy, happy, strong hardware, we want the software to be able to function properly. The software is more on the level, we can say, of our nervous system, more on the level of our mind. And when we look at the nervous system, we find roughly we can divide it into three layers, three levels. There is the spinal cord, which goes from the neck area about, the, just the lower part of the cranium all the way to the inside the vertebrae in our back. There is the middle size of the brain, if you like. We can say just roughly the middle part between the upper brain and the spinal cord. And there is the upper brain, the cortex that we have. I'm dividing these very roughly because they all talk together, walk with each other, respond to each other, and influence each other in very, very complex ways. So for the scientists, of course, we know this is very rough, but it's actually quite accurate. And we see that in the animal species and the development, that the lower species, they have mostly the spinal level kind of equivalent of what we have. If you get to a higher species, there is the middle part, more developed. And then on the very highest species, including the humans, and particularly, of course, the humans, we have the highest part, the cortex. Why is this important? It's because the software that controls the physical machinery of our body has three different ways of functioning based on these different areas. If we look at the spinal cord, it's mostly reflexes. Reflexes, you put your finger in the fire and before you know, it has withdrawn itself. You think you withdrew it, but in fact you had absolutely, as a conscious thinking individual, nothing to do with that. It's a reflex that makes the muscles contract when there is something that hurts the finger or a knee jerk, for example, and that is to keep you in proper position when you are standing. There are reflexes so that when you're about to fall, the body is maintained in good posture. So these are reflex activities, and we want them to be very alert, very active. They are very useful, and they maintain the body what we call autonomically, which means without conscious input from the brain, in perfect protective kind of mechanisms. Now, when we have to deal with more complex situations, and yet in the immediate environment, in the immediate uh, circumstances, we have the middle part between the spinal cord and the upper brain. And this middle part is tuned for what you have heard or know to be the flight or fight response. 
And that is a protective mechanisms and decision-making mechanisms, but much more complex than just a simple reflex on the spinal cord level. These mechanisms allow us to uh, recognize danger or recognize situations and decide what to do on an immediate short-term basis. They are also quite automated, which means oftentimes they don't even talk to your conscious thinking, even though you think it is like that, but mostly the fight and flight response are also quite automated. And sometimes in order to act efficiently and effectively, they shut off the upper parts of the brain so that don't bother me now with all kinds of considerations. I have to get things done right away and I have to respond to situations that are dangerous. These kinds of mechanisms you encounter mostly in the jungle. You know, the animals have to behave very quickly when you have a prey and somebody's attacking. You know, there is an active mechanism and there is no thinking about it. You know, there is no time to think and analyze. There is an immediate response and that takes us to, or takes the animal and the jungle to an immediate behavior. Since we are also having these mechanisms within us, we have acquired and inherited these responses from the jungle, even though we live in a civilized or semi-civilized uh, kind of environment in our societies. And then you have, of course, the thinking, planning, upper part of the nervous system, which helps us as a very complex software to not only think of the immediate complex situations, but to think in terms of a long-term decision-making process that takes us into thinking that life is not finishing just right now because some stray dog is walking behi behind me or walking by me and I have to do something immediate and run away or hide or something like that. But life is also has a tomorrow and an after tomorrow and then a year and then two years and how should I plan things and what should I do with my society and my life. There is another level, but I will leave this level because it's a little bit more abstract as far as we're concerned right now, but I will talk about it uh, in a minute that is even higher than the individual level of the higher cortex. So here we are, we have a machinery, we want it to work well, it's obvious, so please think properly about good healthy diet, healthy routine, nice exercise, perfect breathing systems, all of these things that we can do. And today in our modern times, actually this part is quite a bit taken care of in most societies in most parts of the world. So this is almost a subject that of course is extremely important, but we don't add anything by telling you you have to exercise, you have to do well. We know this, everybody's doing it, and overall, particularly if we're young and, and strong and ability to, to do things well, the body is able to function well. So in terms of improvement, what can we do with this? We just do what we are doing and what we have learned to do. Now, what remains for us is what happens on the other levels. And the other levels, we have to ask ourselves, are we acting in a reflex way? Are we acting in a fight or flight response way? or act, are we acting in a higher brain level way? 
Now, these higher brain levels, of course, translate themselves into conscious behavior, into mind. So ultimately, we find that the machinery is having its own protective mechanisms, which we don't have to think about. They are autonomic systems and has its mechanisms, which are really what we want to target and where we can make a difference. And that is the quality of the software and the quality of ability to use our thinking. Because a machine can be like a robot. You think the hand is acting or the feet are acting. You sign things, you do things. But ultimately, when you think about it properly, it is the mind, it is the consciousness, the awareness that is making you make the decisions. So again, while the machinery has to be healthy and has to be able to do the things, and we said that most of us have a relatively healthy machinery except for a few things here and there, what we have to be able to do is to make this machinery work in the best possible way and to take the right decisions at the right time and behave in a way that allows us to achieve what we have to achieve. So although the body seems to be the actor and we are all on the physical level, ultimately the mind is the ultimate actor in this circumstance. And beyond the mind, and more than the mind, is the awareness that we have. Awareness we think usually as being part of the mind. But in fact, it's the level of alertness, the level of consciousness that we have that is going to either help the mind to make the right decisions or take us into all kinds of situations and, and circumstances and shut off these higher levels and make us behave in a reflex way in a fight-or-flight response way, or even in a very basic reflex way. And that consciousness is how awake you are. Just think of the day when you have slept well, and you wake up fresh, and then you face situations in the day. You find that you have a much better ability to make decisions properly, you find that if there is a problem, you can surmount it much easier and it looks like a little problem. Whereas the day when you wake up tired and you haven't slept well and you're exhausted, any little problem bothers you. You're annoyed, you get angry, you get nervous, you get upset, and it becomes a big thing. And when you try to make decisions, you don't take as if so many variables into consideration. You ignore this while helping that, you try to solve this, you make that uh, unhappen, you break this while you're fixing that. And that is just because you haven't slept or rested well. Your mind, your awareness is on a limited level. And therefore, even on the feeling level, you are a football of situations and circumstances. If a friend is happy, you're happy. If something happens outside, it makes you unhappy, it makes you sad. And when the things change on the outside, for you also it changes. So you are just kicked around by situations, by circumstances, and you are not stable within yourself. And believe it or not, 
the more stress there is, the more tension there is, the more fatigue there is, the more cloudiness there is on the nervous system, the less intelligence you use, the less even the higher parts of our nervous system are used, and we respond in a very automatic, almost reflex way, that are sometimes more useful and more appropriate for the jungle than for a human complex civilization and society for the individual and for society. Now what can we do about this? How to make sure our system functions from all its parts in an integrated way, in a holistic way? We can do all the things we said. You can have proper diet, proper routine, you can have uh, machinery working very well on the surface level, and you also can have deep rest. Your mind is jumping around like a monkey, and the mind is like an ocean, it's huge. And the ocean is very active on its surface, and as you go deeper into it, it gets more and more quiet, more and more settled. And the more settled it is, the more peaceful it is the more it is tapping into its own creativity. Because when we have a thought, we wonder, where is this thought coming from? We see a thought, we hear a thought in our mind, we experience a thought in our mind, but we don't know where is this creativity, this impulse creativity coming from. It's coming from somewhere very deep inside. It's coming from our awareness. If our awareness is clear, is unclouded, if it's sharp, then this awareness is able to see the source of thought and the development of thought and carry the thought to its maximum fulfillment. If we are clouded in our awareness, then we are only on the surface level. Now many people feel that their mind is jumping around, so let us force it to stop from jumping and there are many techniques, such as concentration technique, focusing technique, that are attempt at training the mind to think in a proper way. These are having some surface results, but they keep the mind on its surface level. There are techniques where you say, don't be jumping around without knowing what you're doing. So let us connect the mind to the body, connect the mind to behavior. So be mindful of what you're doing. Be mindful of your breathing, be mindful of your activity. Don't just do it in a reflex way. What these things are saying is that bring the attention of your nervous system from a simple reflex level on a lower animal level, if you like, to a more higher integrated level so that you can use more potential. Now these sometimes they calm the mind, they bring the person back to some normality, but they also remain on the level of controlling the mind from the level of manipulating the thoughts and trying to take the thought here or there, whereas the mind is jumping in all directions and unsettled. So there is also a kind of forcing in this area. There is a technique, and that is the technique we want to explore today, which is called transcendental meditation. This technique comes from an ancient tradition, 
thousands of years old, and it was passed on from teacher to student throughout the ages. In fact, it's a technique of yoga. It is actually yoga of the mind. It's a supreme yoga of the mind. Yoga means unity, to unify, collectedness, to reach a state of peace and inner stability and strength. And transcendental meditation is the supreme level of yoga, which actually takes the mind from the surface level of the ocean and allow it to dive in itself, by itself, and guided by its own nature, which means without manipulating it, without trying to make it be mindful of something, or concentrate on something, or focus on something, it is just by its own nature that the mind gets to go inwards towards the self, towards being. See, we are always motivated by more and more in life. We want more happiness, we want more health, more strength, more energy, more intelligence. But we always look at these and search for these through our senses that project us outside. In transcendental meditation, we take the inward direction and allow the mind, guided by its own nature to desire more and more, to settle down towards itself. Because the reality of the self, the reality of consciousness, the reality of the depths of the mind, of the depths of the ocean, is that infinite, unbounded, pure being that is our true inner self. And sometimes we give examples in physics where we can say that the outer objects, just for a little digression, but it's very interesting comparison, everything that is in the universe is made out of, ultimately, when you go from the gross level of, you know, like a human body, it's made out of tissues, tissues are made out of cells, cells out of made of molecules, and then you go deeper, molecules are made out of atoms, atoms are made out of elementary particles, and then you reach fields, fields of energy, electromagnetic field, weak force, strong force, and gravitational fields, and the scientists have been able to unify these fields and to propose a unified field of all the laws of nature, which is the source of all that there is in the universe, the source of all objects, of all forces, of all laws that construct and interact and build the universe. This ancient tradition that we are talking about is the tradition that allows us to go to that unified field because it says that our deep inner self is actually that infinite source of energy and intelligence that is the unified field itself. And so our self is the self of everything in the universe. That field is a field of infinite peace, infinite harmony, infinite silence. And therefore the mind gravitates towards it, and there is a technique of how to do it, which is taught in very short time, uh, four or five sessions, uh, an introduction, and then four sessions. It's very simple to learn it about an hour, an hour and a half each session. And then one is on his own or her own, 
And what you do, you sit comfortably in a chair, close the eyes, and allow the mind to settle in towards these areas. Now what this does, automatically, we have seen, it creates a very high coherence in brain functioning. So this higher level of the nervous system, which is our highest level of software, as if opens up, as if the channels of connection between front and back, right and left of the brain, and all the inner parts of the brain, they open up. And scientists have called it open up of the reserves of the brain because there are many parts of the brain that sit there unused throughout our life. And this is from the place from where this idea that we use only a small percentage of our mental potential. Because it is as if we have all of these chips and computers that are sitting in our brain, many, many computers, but they don't talk to each other. And now imagine that you open them to each other and they start acting in a balanced, coordinated way, and therefore their ability to process information and to make decisions is so much, so much increased and so many folds more powerful. And that is why we have better decision-making, greater awareness, greater alertness. But at the same time, because the program brings this depressed, it removes the tiredness and the fatigue from the body. So even if the body itself is tired and has ancient stresses that have been sitting there, that create disease, that create hypertension, that create asthma, that create all kinds of inflammatory problems and cardiovascular issues, then they are automatically and spontaneously relieved. And that is why this program has huge support from research agencies, and there are more than 600 scientific research studies now conducted in the best universities around the world and published in peer review articles that show how health increase improves. So the machine itself improves from this effect, and the software improves because we have seen better behavior, improvement in grades for students at schools, greater creativity, more integration in life, and also on the level of society, we have seen that there is a transformation that happens because a peaceful mind that makes right decisions rather than reflex, automated, fight or flight, short-term decisions is able to behave in an appropriate way and improve the immediate environment through behavior on one level and through the other level, which I said I'll talk about a little bit, which is what we call the collective consciousness. So we have the individual awareness, which is transformed. But since we are a unit in society, we are like a neuron in the brain. And many, many neurons together, they actually create a collection of neurons, which creates our own individual awareness even though, therefore, when we behave, when we think, when we act, the individual neurons might not know that there is a brain, that there is a collectivity, and that it has its own awareness. In the same way, there is a collective consciousness in society. And this collective consciousness is contributed by the individual consciousness of every one of us. And therefore, when we improve ourselves, in a number that is large enough, 
And we have found the studies show 1% of society, or even in some advanced techniques of transcendental meditation, the square root of 1%, we have seen that there is improvement in the behavior and decision-making of society, and there is a greater state of peace, there is decrease in criminality, and these have been studied scientifically and followed with the prospective studies and long-term analysis throughout different different societies and cities and show that in fact the collective awareness is improved also at the same time. So in a forest to say that the forest is green we want to have every tree to be green and if we want today to improve our health we can even do it from that level of the improvement of the mind because mind and body are intimately related and what happens in the mind influences the activities and the transformations in the body. If we want to improve it on the level of behavior, we don't want our behavior to be a short-term, immediate flight or fight response because we are then reacting in a way that might not be conducive to a long-term happiness, health and prosperity for our society. In order to have a long-term vision, we need to have a calm, quiet mind that is able to take into consideration a large number of variables in order to make decisions rather than take small variables and ignore all the other variables. And we have seen that transcendental meditation expands the mind, allows the mind and the brain to think in the right direction and people have reported better behavior, better relations in their life. And there is the other level, which is that level of collective awareness, collective consciousness, which comes from improving oneself and therefore allowing, as a group, the improvement of the quality of our collective society, our collective behavior, our ultimately our whole world. So when we see problems, in society and we say I don't mind today my mind is good my body is good I am alright but I see crime I see terrorism I see attacks in the schools I see bad behavior between different nations I want to do something for my world I want to do something for my society what can you do you can use any of these aspects you can go out and fight with your physical body you can act in a reflex get angry and start shouting you can act like a fight or flight response, have a little more complex behavior, but still fighting and shouting and all of that. And sometimes these are necessary and fine. I'm not discarding them at all. But we are giving an alternative where we can act with our highest level of intelligence, with our most profound level of ability to act, and that is from the level of consciousness, from the level of awareness, Bring peace to ourselves is not a very selfish or self-centered thing. It's a responsibility. If you want to do more for your society, you have to be more because you can only give what you have. If you have weakness and fear and anxiety, that's what you will give, weakness and fear and anxiety. And besides, when you are stressed and tired and reacting under such circumstances, you are diminishing your ability of the brain because it shuts down the higher values and therefore one is acting with very limited potential 
and therefore one takes less into consideration and even with the best intentions one can harm the progress and the development of society. Whereas acting from the deep level of pure existence, from the level of the self, from the real level of knowing yourself, knowing oneself directly and without manipulation or philosophy or uh, contemplation about it or believing even in it, because this is not a belief system, this is not a something based on you have to believe and to be a strong believer. It's a mechanical, technical thing. You go back to yourself because it's the nature of the mind. It's very easy. You expand your awareness. Even children do it, and they do it even really well because they are most innocent, and they practice it so easily. And there you get all the developments in physical, mental, on the level of consciousness, behavior, and even on the level of society. A peaceful individual is a requirement for a peaceful society. A peaceful group of individuals can transform society, can stop crime and stop stra strain and strength and fear and terror. Because an individual who is weak and finds herself or himself in a compromised, stressful environment where there is no understanding, no communication, no peace, the atmosphere is tense. They get more tense, they act in a tense way, and they create havoc for themselves and of course for society. Whereas if they are in an environment that is peaceful and quiet, then their tendency to do a behavior, even if they don't practice transcendental meditation themselves, but their tendency will be less directed towards creating issues and problems. They live in peace and they'll experience peace. If they have issues, they'll try to solve them. And we have seen this scientifically. We have seen this by studying it over and over again when a certain percentage of the population meditates, practices this technique, and particularly the advanced techniques which we call the SIDI program, then we find that there is decrease in crime, there is greater prosperity, and there is less conflict in society. So let us create a society that is happy, healthy, and peaceful, and making ourselves first happy, healthy, and peaceful, and radiating that happiness, health, and peace in the most easy, most direct way, most natural way, because we are not imposing anything on ourselves, we are actually going back to ourselves. This technique is like going back home, to the real home which is within us, which is our deep inner being, and which is the self of everything and everyone, that is the unified field of all the laws of nature. This is a program that is scientific, at the same time, is the most ancient aspect of yoga, the most profound. Sometimes it was kind of secret and protected and kept only for special people, but Marishi has felt the world needs it, and he has come out to give it in all compassion and generosity. And that's why we are in great recognition for this tradition, and we look at it from a very scientific perspective, and we know it can be helpful to all levels of life for individual, for society, and for the whole world.
Thank you for listening, and I'm really happy to be connected and look forward if you have any questions to address them. Dr. Nader, thank you so much. We're just enjoying it on live stream. Everyone is loving every second of this. I can tell by all the likes and hearts coming up. There was a question. One woman said, I'm so tired of anxiety. Is this something that can help? Of course, anxiety is a fear of the unknown sometimes. You know, if we define what is anxiety, why am I anxious? Somehow the mechanisms of the nervous system that are related to fear, and fear is sometimes justified, of course, if you encounter danger, then the, there is a system in our physiology, in our nervous system, that activates the fear value, and the fear pushes us to protect ourselves. Now, with the stress and strain of society and circumstances in our daily living and big cities and whatever may be different circumstances, there are these mechanisms that add up and without knowing what I'm afraid of, we feel that kind of anxiety. So we call it anxiety because we are afraid of something but we don't know what it is. We might not call it fear but in, in depth this is what it is. And so what it means is there are stresses there in the physiology that have accumulated from even childhood and gradually they added up and created a reaction in the nervous system. It could even be something related to genetics. It could be related even to sometimes routine and food and all of that. And the way to remove the stress is through this practice of transcendental meditation. By allowing the mind to rest very deeply, the body also follows because mind and body are intimately related. And the body has a desire, a tendency, a nature, and that is to remove what is foreign to it. You know, if you get a thorn in your finger, it's a foreign material, and the body builds an attack on it and removes it. If you are tired on the muscles you have been running, then you don't try to remove the fatigue by pulling on the muscle, of course. What do you do? You rest. And deep rest allows the body to use mechanisms that remove the fatigue from the body. Anxiety is a kind of fatigue that has accumulated, but it's so deep, so ancient, maybe, or new, whatever, but it's creating something where there is a fear of the unknown. And there is this kind of sense of unease or dis-ease on the mental level. And therefore, we say there is something which is physically not working properly even. And it is relating to mental also behavior, mental feeling and mental appreciation. And so what we need is to give a chance to the body to remove this kind of fatigue. Because deep rest in the night helps to remove fatigue, but it's not deep enough, it's not acute enough, it's not of a quality enough to remove the type of fatigue that we call anxiety. We have seen scientifically that those who practice transcendental meditation, they have greater happiness, relief of uh, tensions, and decreased anxiety. So yes, the uh, short answer is it will help relieve anxiety. Of course, uh, every situation is different and one has to address any 
health or mental situation from a complete holistic perspective, but definitely this will really uh, help and hopefully eliminate the anxiety. Thank you very much. Um, the next question, uh, and then a few people actually chatted this in, does the source of thought where the bubble forms below the level of awake consciousness mean that we can't control the thoughts in our response? Meaning, do we have free will? We are bound by our situation. And so to some extent, once we are bound by stresses and strains, then we really uh, are without much free will in some way. But when there are no stresses, no strains, when the one comes back to oneself and experiences one true self as the unbounded pure consciousness, then we become the source of thought. And therefore we have infinite freedom. And in fact, in the ancient tradition, Vedic tradition from which Maharshi comes, there is a word for it and that is called liberation or moksha. Moksha is a word that means we are liberated. We are free from the binding effects of stresses and strains and things that force us to think and act in ways that our conscious mind might not be able fully to control. So there are two realities. There is a reality of being living in boundary and there is a reality which is open to us of living in freedom. And going back to the self, to the true self, we can experience infinite freedom in life. Thank you very much. One more question regarding addiction to marijuana or cigarettes. How can transcendental meditation help with some bad habits? See, the, the nervous system itself uh, can secrete all of these you know, necessary chemicals to help it enjoy a better feeling and a better experience. For example, morphine is something that is very addictive. And scientists have found that there is uh, receptors in the nervous system and the body that respond to this morphine in a very positive way and very calming way and whatever. But ultimately, if there are receptors, so there must be already some molecules that are secreted in the body that can act on these receptors. So the scientists were searching and searching, and then they found the molecules that act on these receptors that are secreted by the body itself. So they wanted to call them endogenous morphine, but it's a long word. So they called, took the first part of endogenous and they say endo and then the last part of morphine and they call them endorphins. So endorphins are actually secreted in the body and they act on these receptors. What happens with addiction is you take a drug, it feels good and then you want more and you want more and there is what we call upregulation of the number of receptors because there is more, you need more and therefore the body starts produces, pro producing upregulation or downregulation of the receptors. So you might have less receptors because the body needs, says it doesn't need so many receptors. There is so much of these things that a few receptors can do the job. 
But with fewer receptors, you need more morphine and more addiction, and therefore there is that change that happens. With transcendental meditation, we have seen that people actually normalize their physiology, and we have what we call psycho-neuro-endocrino-immunology, which means the psyche, the psychic feeling, the mental feeling, not psychic in terms of uh, you know, f reading your palms or the tarot reading. I have nothing against it, I'm just saying it's not that. Psycho means the mind, so the mind, the psychic, the mind, influences the nervous system. The nervous system influences the endocrine system, which is the system that controls the hormones in the body. And the hormones in the body influence the immune system, which is, uh, in part, can be uh, improving inflammation, uh, defense mechanisms, etc. So from the level of the mind, we can control in a balanced way, it's not like a controlling mechanism, it happens by itself, that the nervous system, when it gets to work properly, first, there is greater happiness inside and therefore less desire to go into something that we are needing. There is removal of stress and therefore the sense of lack and, and missing something is removed. So the cause for going after these addictive things uh, is decreased and is, is less there. At the same time, there is a healing mechanism where the body itself starts renormalizing itself and through these mechanisms can uh, prevent the requirement or the need for addiction. Of course, in every case, there is a program that has to be taken that is probably includes transcendental meditation plus other medical attention or health-related, behavioral-related different aspects that can combine to help the individual in different stages of addiction to get over their addiction. But definitely having that inner strength, inner stability, and inner balance is very important to be able to go through whatever program wants, wants to go through and have the inner strength to overcome these addictions. Wonderful. We're going to switch a little bit here um, regarding transcending. And the question is, how does the mind transcend? And if it's a mantra that we use, how does that get chosen? Transcending is a term that means to go beyond. To go beyond. That is the word transcending. So although it's called meditation, because it deals with the mind, and therefore everything that works with the mind has been lumped into meditation. But really, as if our technique should be called transcending, <laughs> or tr this just transcendental mind technique or something. Because nowadays, meditation means a lot, and therefore transcending is going beyond. And going beyond what? Beyond the finest level of thinking. So there are different levels of transcending. As the mind settles down, the mind gets to finer levels of thinking and finer levels of thinking. And every step is a kind of going beyond, kind of going beyond, kind of going beyond. Now, what guides the mind? How does it happen that it goes beyond and ultimately wants to go to this unified field that we talked about? It happens guided by its own nature. This is what makes the transcendence happen. It's not the mantra. 
The mantra doesn't make you transcend. The mantra is a vehicle that we use that allows the mind to settle down, guided by what? By its own nature, not by the mantra. Guided by its own nature. But the mantra is there, it helps the mind to remain awake in a non-directed way. The mantra has no meaning, it's a sound without meaning. If it had a meaning, then one would be stuck on the surface because meaning sticks the mind to something. If you use flower, 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 you will think flower, flower, what is a flower? And how is the color of the flower? And you will remain on the surface of the mind. If you try to focus on the flower, then also you are forcing the mind to be on some level. Try to train it to focus a little bit and actually when it gets tired it drops and maybe transcends a little bit but you think oh no no come back let's go back to the flower so even more this concentration technique sometimes forces you or takes you back to the surface so the mind transcends guided by its own nature and there is a special technique and a special way how to use the mantra and how to choose the mantra is uh, something that the teachers have learned and they give it on a personal private level and so the selection of the mantra is given to the teachers who are trained of how to use it for what individual under what situation you know you cannot learn this technique through a book because you have to be taught in a systematic way where you have an experience and then the teacher says something based on your experience if we tell you you're going to have this and that and you should experience this or should experience that, the innocence goes away. And this technique is based on innocence, on naturalness. And therefore, the teaching has to be done in the proper way, in a systematic way. And that's why we teach in the way that it was taught throughout these thousands of years of the tradition. Dr. Nader? There is requests coming in for you to do a world tour. <laughs> Thank you. It would be a joy. We have to see the logistics. <laughs> Someone asked, how can a person through TM be invincible in a bad environment? See, what we do in a, in a bad environment, we are exposed to situations that impact us and influence us. And, of course, it is ideal to be in an environment which is least stressed and less problematic. But it all depends also on our flexibility and our ability to change the bad environment into a good environment. And that is really more demanding, of course, and therefore one has to even more urgently practice this technique because bad environment means we are subject to the outside world and our inner stability and strengths are constantly challenged and constantly exposed to situations that can shake us. And therefore what is needed is to be anchored in the self as much as possible. And to be anchored in the self, going back to the self, allows us to have greater flexibility, greater intelligence in dealing with specific situations, and ability to protect ourselves. There is another aspect to it also, 
when you get into that unified field level, which is the unified field of all the laws of nature that controls the entire universe and keeps the universe and life as a whole in perfect order, you know, that unified field which creates flowers out of the mud, which transforms, you know, some minerals and the ground into a beautiful tree, which creates a human being, which allows life to grow and progress and maintain order in the universe. That unified field, when we are established in it, when we experience it, when we know it to be ourselves, it normally takes us out of these situations. Either the environment will change for us, if we are able to be a few and change it, or we would move into an environment that is more holistic and more supportive for us. That we call also, it's a term we use that we call support of nature. We get more support from the laws of nature, the laws that control the universe. Because then we are established in that inner field of strength and stability, and therefore our behavior, thinking, and decision-making is much more in tune and much more powerful in tune with natural law and allows us to make the right decisions and to handle the situations if we cannot change, and change them right away. What is the brain physiology of the flow state? Which structures in the brain are active during that state? The flow state. I think that can be explained as being in the zone. We can call this transcending, transcending. Uh, sometimes, you know, we can transcend by a little bit by experiencing a beautiful scenery or something charming. We can transcend a little bit if we have a discovery, you know, a scientist can discover some great thing, they've been searching for it, and suddenly it comes to the mind and this aha experience comes. We hear in the history of saints in different religions and different uh, traditions that they had these moments of ecstasy, of beatitude, of beauty, that really made them open up their mind and they feel they are in the flow. And it's a new term, so I like it. <laughs> <laughs> And that is really similar to transcending, similar to transcending. might not be full transcending, but it can happen that suddenly, out of the blue, one falls into that situation. And then what we hear is that all of these saints and sages and all of these great people or scientists who had this experience or people in regular life, they want to go back to it. They want to be in it, but they don't know how to do it. And it becomes like, oh, it's, you know, it comes from the gift of nature, from the gift of God, from the mercy of the divine, which is all true, of course, 100%. But there is no way to get it again. And this is the beauty, actually, of one of the things that made me personally so attracted to this technique, is that you can get into the transcendent, into the state of pure being, in a systematic way, in a scientific way, <laughs> in a repeatable way. So if you do it right, you get it. 
and so there is a technique to enlightenment. There is a technique to spirituality. There is a technique to spiritual experience. There is a technique to beatitude. There is a technique to being in a balanced way in the flow, in that feeling, if you mean the flow in that sense. Now, if you have the flow because you've taken some drugs or something, you should be very careful <laughs> because that is an artificial thing that is imposing on your nervous system transformations that are momentary and that get you in trouble. So we want to stay away of that. We want a healthy, happy, integrated situation. And the difference we can say is that what happens from being in these experiences? Having this experience in transcendental meditation leads to health, happiness, better integration in society, better behavior, improvement of society, decrease of crime, all the positive things. You might say, I can get this experience by taking some drug or something. Yeah, but what happens to you? Ill health, anxiety, suicide, death, trouble for yourself, your family, and society. So that is also very important. Something can happen on a natural way and be absolutely fantastic. And something that happens sometimes in an artificial way can be damaging, and we have to be careful about it. Thank you very much. Um, uh, to follow up, people are saying they want to know more about how a mantra works, how to transcend. I guess the obvious next question is, how do people find out how to do this, besides visiting www.tm.org? Uh, what are the steps? Well, in the US, uh, you said it. Uh, and these days, you don't have to put www. <laughs> <laughs> And then you get into the site which manages this technique in the US. And it's very well done, I thought. Uh, you can click how to learn TM. You can put your zip code. You can uh, say how to, you know, where you want to do it. You can even have more information, more intro lecture, and then come and learn it. So the main thing in this we say, we cannot learn it from a book. And we don't want to teach it from a book because it doesn't work like that. It's not a question that we want to get people to run and come and see us because we like to see people or we, you know, we like to charge people or all of that. It's something that is done in the way it has been done for thousands of years. And this is how it has been maintained efficient and effective. And so there is a fee for it. Of course, the teacher, you know, they have to live, they have to eat, they have to dress, they have to pay the, the rent. And, uh, you know, we contribute, those who have learned, those who learn, they contribute. It's simple. It's a technology and it's done in this way and we will keep it at the highest possible standard. This is our responsibility, to keep its purity and to teach it. We're not out to just, you know, make it, okay, we could make so much more money if we sell it this way or we do it that way, but then we lose the effectiveness. And we want this technique to be available for all generations to come and to be available in its effectiveness and its purity. And to know how to do it, no www, just tm.org, and it works. <laughs> Fantastic. On behalf of almost 800 
people um, watching this live, thank you so much. One last question regarding creating a peaceful society and a peaceful world. For the individuals that are already practicing Transcendental Meditation, um, how do you feel about group practice and maybe some words on uh, what people can do to be a little bit more proactive? Great, so you meant the last two were the last two questions. This is the final one. <laughs> also, this we can check on the internet on tm.org, but maybe it doesn't talk about it so much. But as we said, there is collective awareness. And collective awareness is made out of individual awareness uh, that is collectively becomes the collective awareness. And that is what transforms the quality of life in society. We can take an example from a laser beam. You know, a laser is a light that is the same as the regular light you have in your room in terms of its wavelengths or frequency. The difference is that in the laser, the waves of the light, they go up and down together. So they are coherent, they are in tune, they work together. And therefore, you get a very powerful laser that can influence in a very strong way or can cut, you know, do a hole in a mountain if it's really powerful. And that is happening when a small percentage of these wavelengths, they start coming together. And actually, 1% is enough. When they 1% of these waves get together, all the others are entrained and follow and there you get the laser beam. So this is how individual awareness, a few people in society practicing this technique, can transform the collective awareness of the whole society. There is an advanced technique called the SIDI program, where we have learned how to transcend and reach the unified field. And now with the SIDI program, we learn how to think from that level, how to project a thought in that level. It's a very wonderful program. And with this program, we have found that when the square root of 1% of a population practice this program together, they transform the awareness of society. They transform the quality of life in the society, which means decreased crime, less turbulence, less conflict, less problems, increased prosperity, and all the good things happen in a natural way without trying to influence directly. It's by enlivening the unified field and the collectivity in a powerful way that spontaneously society rises to a better level of existence, behavior of its individuals and peace in it. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.